The neighborhood kids once feared me. When I strolled up and down the street with my dark clothes, fortune-telling paraphernalia, and a book of spells under my arm, kids made way for me, for they knew they were in the presence of a powerful individual. At any moment, my eyes rolled up and I got a message from the other side, the place where mortals dare not tread. I saw the harbinger ghost standing behind the other children. I tried to warn them, but they failed to heed my words. Those kids disappeared, and the ones who knew to listen to me continued to exist. At least that's how I perceived myself for a summer when I was a kid. The fortune-telling paraphernalia was a coin in a deck of playing cards. The spellbook was a kid's introduction to fortune-telling and the paranormal, and I had to return it to the library in four weeks. I didn't see any ghosts. I pretended to see dead grandparents and people who died under mysterious circumstances in the neighborhood houses. If all the ghosts I claimed to see really exists, that would mean that every house in my neighborhood had at least three mysterious deaths per house. That would make the neighborhood the most dangerous neighborhood in America. But children don't really think about statistics. The children who mysteriously disappeared just moved away. I have always been fascinated with the paranormal or the weird. I wanted a secret passage in my home. I wanted to see a ghost. I wanted to be a part of a mystery. I still want a secret passage in my house. And if I ever built my own house, I'd request a swinging bookcase. I still want to see a ghost. And if something says haunted, I'm the first in line. I still haven't seen a ghost. I still want to be part of a mystery, preferably on a train. When the babysitters go poking through Don's house attempting to find a mystery, I smile to myself. If I were them, I'd be the one to instigate the whole thing. The Ghost at Dawn's House is a fun mystery book with a secret passage and a ghost. I enjoyed it, even if Nikki annoys me. This is rereading my childhood, The Babysitter's Club number 9, The Ghost at Dawn's House. The Ghost at Dawn's House starts with the first BSC meeting after Dawn returns from her trip to California and a little casual racism. She regales the other babysitters about her father, referring to him as Disney Dad because he took her and her younger brother Jeff to the eponymous amusement park while they were there in an attempt to make up for the time he wasn't spending with his children. Then Don describes Claudia, who is Asian, as exotic looking. Come on, Don. Actually, and in Martin, you're better than that. Asians aren't exotic. There are billions of them. There are more Asians than white people. Even more than blonde people. So really, Don, you're the exotic one. But I guess this was the 80s and apparently world statistics hadn't been invented yet, so I guess I'll give them a pass. But seriously, this will be a recurring issue in these books. It's nice and progressive to have an Asian character, but can we stop calling her exotic? If she had purpleized blue skin and a proclivity for eating paste, then I'd call her exotic. Until Claudia exhibits something actually exotic, I'll just call her Asian American. But I do love that dragon bracelet. These girls are dedicated to babysitting. Dawn babysat for her father's friend's kids. Claudia babysat some kid while she was on vacation to a ski house. Claudia babysat her siblings, and we know who Marianne and Stacy babysat. See the last Babysitter's Club episode. A lot of babysatting going around. Now that that's out of the way, we can finally get to the meaty part of the story, which starts with a stormy night at home with Dawn and Jeff. Their mother is on a date, which, for a book that describes Claudia as exotic, is pretty progressive. Stony Brook has been inundated with thunder and rain, which makes Dawn nervous, especially in her home. I stood still and listened. I could hear little rustlings. Far away, thunder rumbled. I shivered. I love our old house and the barn, but sometimes they give me the creeps. They were built in 1795, and there's just something spooky about a place that's been around that long. So many people have lived here. Some of them have probably died here, too. 
right in the house or the barn. This house sounds dope. I live in the West, so our haunted houses are usually from the gunsmoke days. Nothing that was around when Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. Well, there were things, but white people came in and forced the natives to leave while the white people tore down perfectly good structures. The next day, Don invites the BSC over to, in Don's exact words, search for a hidden passage. That's something a group of young girls would do, especially since Don's house is so old. Much to their chagrin, the girls find nothing but hijinks where they scare each other. Now we have our first handwriting chapter. This time, it's Marianne at the Perkinsons, the people who purchased Christie's old home. Mariah is older than her sister Gabby, who is nicknamed the Gabbers. That is an amazing nickname. I would love to be called the Gabbers. My name isn't Gabby, but I would still love to be called the Gabbers. Marianne is apprehensive about the Perkinsons. Her best friend, Christy, once lived in that house. Marianne and Christy used to be able to talk to each other via their bedroom windows. Now some weird family has taken over the domain that once belonged to Marianne's best friend, forcing her to use the doorbell like someone who hasn't considered the place a second home for most of her life. She is understandably upset about this, but being the nice, responsible person that she is, Marianne has a good time with the girls playing games and coloring with them. The Gabbers hands Marianne a picture that looks like a huge jumbled scribble. Marianne responds in the best way. That's lovely, Marianne exclaimed. She was about to ask, what is it? When she remembered something we Babysitter's Club members had thought up. Instead of saying, what is it? When we can't tell what a picture or an art project is, we say, tell me about it. That way the kid doesn't know we can't tell, so his feelings aren't hurt. Annie tells us what the picture is, so we don't say anything dumb about it, like, I've never seen such a big elephant, when it turns out to be a picture of the kid's grandmother or something. Tell me about it, Marianne said to Gabby. That's some clever shit. It spares the kid embarrassment, and it spares the sitter from insulting the kid. Don sits for the mob family, uh, I mean the Pikes and learns that Nikki has a new rule where he can leave the house, but can only travel as far as a two-block radius around the Pike house. Nikki disappears, but reappears, dirty, but in one piece, after a quick search. Dawn goes home after her babysitting scare, and tries to relax by reading in the barn behind her house. She falls through a trapdoor, and finds an actual secret passage from the barn to her room, just behind some fancy molding. She also finds three mysterious items, a button, a buckle, and a key. I knew it. I just knew it. Our house was haunted. It was haunted by the ghost of the secret passage. No one was going to believe it, but it was true. I remembered the rapping noises I had heard the night of the storm. Now I knew what had really made them. That's a logical conclusion. Trash in a secret passage? It's a ghost! Although my first instinct was that it was a rat or some other subterranean rodent moving trash around. The automatic supernatural conclusion is something a 12-year-old, as well as some adults who watch too many ghost hunting shows, would land on. The next chapter is a handwriting one in which Chrissy babysits for Karen, Andrew, and Dave and Michael during a rainy night. Karen wants to tell scary stories, but Christy wants to tell jokes. She proceeds to tell that stupid knock-knock joke that involves a damn banana. Martin chooses not to paraphrase the joke, but to actually write out the whole joke. As if everyone hasn't already heard that joke a million times before they enter school. I wonder if Martin had to fill up a page quota and was short half a page. Karen tells a scary story about Ben Brewer, the ghost of the third floor. It freaks out Christy a little. The four of them, plus Boo Boo the cat and Louie the dog, end up falling asleep together. Christy's brothers make fun of her, and Christy feels silly about falling asleep with her siblings, but she's just being a gold older sister, and her brothers should shut the hell up. Back to Dawn. 
She tells Jeff about the secret passage from Dawn's room one night while Dawn's mom is on another date. Got a girl. They find a buffalo head nickel and an ice cream cone. They don't make it to the barn. They hear weird noises and run out. Ms. Schaefer comes home with her date. His name is Trip, which is a ridiculous name for a date, let alone a human being. Ms. Schaefer orders her children to stay out of the passage until they can find some way to seal the openings. Her date leaves and she goes to bed. Dawn can't sleep, so she rummages through her mother's things. She finds a book from her grandmother entitled A History of Stony Brook. Dawn flips to the conspicuously named Legends section of the book. Basically, some guy named Jared Mulray, a long-ass time ago, didn't want to leave his property and just disappeared. Dawn believes that the property old Mulray refused to leave is her house. This leads her to another completely rational and not at all jumpy conclusion. There really was a ghost in our secret passage, and that ghost was crazy Gerald Mulray. Of course he is. But he's not malicious. There's no record of old Jared attacking anyone, and it's not as if he was murdered. He just didn't want to leave. While he did disappear, there isn't any indication of foul play or something malicious afoot. Don's house doesn't have a history of people running away or a string of suspicious accidents. The ghost, if he is haunting Don's secret passage, isn't a malevolent specter keeping people off his property, but one of those old people who won't leave their house even though a park needs to be built in an old neighborhood and the city offered him a good sum of money. It's his house, and if he wants to stay in it and annoy everyone, he can, because he's a ghost, and there's not much you can do about a persistent ghost. Chapter 10 is about Claudia's babysitting adventure with Jamie and Lucy Newton. Lucy goes to sleep immediately, but Jamie attempts to stay up later with kid shenanigans, like asking for more stories and water. He eventually goes to sleep. Don invites Marianne over, and we have the first mention of Cam Yeary, the... Corey Haim slash Feldman of the BSC universe. That person might be Justin Bieber for a younger person. For my sister, he was Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys. He was Jonathan Taylor Thomas for me. For Mary Ann Spear, it's Cam Geary. After looking at the teen heartthrob in Tiger Beat or Bop or Tiger Bop or whatever the kids are reading, Don invites Mary Ann into the secret passage. The girls are attacked by a flying book and they run away. Don is babysitting a few of the Pike children. Margot and Vanessa use some crazy shampoo on Claire. Meanwhile, Nikki disappears. Don asks Stacy for help finding the second most annoying Pike child. The first is still Claire and her silly phase, which is just an annoying phase. Don finds Nikki covered in mud near her house, which is at the edge of Nikki's two-block wandering maximum. Now to the climax. Mallory and Don are watching the Pike Boys. Nikki gets into a fight with the triplets during a bizarre lunch that involves pregnant woman food combinations and juvenile attempts at humor. Nikki runs away and Mallory scolds the triplets. Don finds Nikki in the secret passage. Nikki was the one who left the food, the buckle, the key, and all the other bric-a-brac in the passage. He also tapped on Don's walls and made her think it was a ghost. They share a tender moment before heading back. The book ends with the BSC having a slumber party at Don's house, where they watch a ghost fillet a man and Anthony Michael Hall rape a woman, while a racist orientalist stereotype terrorizes a small town. They watch Ghostbusters and Sixteen Candles. I love these movies, especially Sixteen Candles, but let's not overlook the more problematic and unpleasant aspects of those movies. Stacy and Don are left out of the junk food buffet, and they play a prank on the rest of the club. I enjoyed The Ghost at Dawn's House. It was a predecessor to the beloved The Babysitter's Club mystery books. I remember loving the mystery series. We'll see if they hold up when I get those. 
Nikki gets on my nerves, but I have a short fuse when it comes to children. I know that's odd, considering I'm rereading a book series about children watching other children. Maybe I'll learn to love Nikki and Claire and the other Pike children as the series continues. For now, I'm happy with the mysteries that surround Stony Brook. And just because Nikki was the ghost this time doesn't mean there isn't a curmudgeon who refused to leave his property a million years ago haunting Don's house. Or that any other houses in Stony Brook don't contain a paranormal enigma waiting for the BSC to solve.